So turn with me in your Bibles to um, the book of Ecclesiastes. And for a few minutes this morning, um, I'd like just to talk about something that's really been on my heart for the last few months. And, you know, I don't know, you, you know, in the process of just reading and praying and reading your Bible and, you know, there's just things that God puts on your heart and it's not for now, but it's for later. And it's just like 98% of the sermon preparation that I do is really for myself because I get to preach to myself all the time. And so um, when I was preparing this, I was thinking about this and it's actually just a, it's a topic that, <clears throat> it's a topic that really spoke to me as a teenager. And I don't know, some of you know that I kind of grew up with just <laughs> very, I grew up in New England. So that was the first handicap I had. <laughs> a Yankee. <laughs> so what's that? I hear. <laughs> and uh, I grew up in in New England, and just kind of grew up in a. You know, my dad wasn't saved. My mom was saved, but just not walking with the Lord at the time. And there's just a lot of alcohol in the family, and there's just a lot of just fun- dysfunction and hardship, and just a lot of brokenness in my family. And I just kind of I grew up dyslexic and I like had ADD and I had all these crazy things. I couldn't read until I was like into fourth grade, third grade. I couldn't like everybody's reading their books, you know, CJ and run and you know, the red books that you guys grow. I don't know if you remember those or not, but I couldn't read. I couldn't write. Uh, it was just, it was, it was a mess. And I had to go to like a special, I had to go to like the special class, the resource room. I don't know if you guys remember that. Some of the older folks may remember what that is. It's a special class where where, where people go that have learning disabilities. And so I had learning disabilities. I just remember growing up thinking, just kind of always being, feeling like on the outside, you know, like kind of looking at everything that's going on. And, and, uh, and just, you know, there were moments where I did very well in school. And then there was just moments I just was crashing and burning. And I just remember in high school, it was one of those times where I was just really crashing and burning. And fortunately, I was going to a, a church, um, this church, actually back home, in Maine, and I was going there, and I had a great team leader. I just had a youth leader there that, um, just a unique guy, just took time and prayed and just kind of hung out and walked me through some stuff that was going through. And I just remember at one point, after school, just kind of trying to figure everything out, what I wanted to do with my life and what, you know, what was going to happen. I I had a younger brother who was just extremely successful and still is today, very successful, just killing it with everything he did. And I just felt like I was never getting to that point where, where I was going to ever be like him. And so you enter high school with all those changes that are going on inside of you and everything that's happening inside of your mind psychologically. And I just remember, um, you know, after school, just going for a walk. And we had train tracks right behind where I lived, just like a train yard where the freight trains were coming in. And and I would just go there, and I would just kind of just walk around and pray and just think, just, you know, like, wondering what is God's plan for my life. And then when I was 17, I was invited to go on a mission trip. And um, our church was just putting together a, an event where, <clears throat> where we were going to be able to raise money and go on a mission trip to Europe, to Sweden, actually, to, to, to Solskjabad in Sweden, which is just outside of Stockholm. And we needed to raise money. So we were raising money, and, like, I think I raised, like, 
I don't know, 50 cents. <laughs> like, I don't know, those were the days when, I don't know, that was in the 80s when everybody, nobody had money. It was in the middle of just crisis and everything. And, and so like the church decided to raise, raise money for me. And so they did. And it was me and, and a couple other guys that went. And I was 17. We got on the plane and I went to Sweden for a week. And that's where I saw evangelism on the streets. I saw a Christian theater. I saw a Christian cafe. We, had, we, we were in a Christian cafe. That's where they had their services. And that's where they were uh, meeting people during the week to share the gospel with them and evangelize. And so I remember going to that. And just, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a place in your life where you just feel like you're, you're spinning your wheels. I don't know. You ever feel that way, spinning your wheels? A lot of noise, a lot of smoke, a lot of, a lot of effort, you know, <clears throat> a lot of choice words. But um, you're not going anywhere. And, and uh, no matter how hard you push, you're just going deeper and deeper. And I remember being on this trip. And I just remember one moment during the trip, I was standing there. We were outside in Old Town, Stockholm, and, and there was Christian theater going on. And there was um, by the group of our team there at the time. And I just remember God speaking to me so clearly. And I don't know if it was God speaking to me or if it was me responding to what I saw on the street. But I felt like this is the life for me. This is what I want. This is the mission I want to live. And I remember getting on the plane back, flying back, and um, had my Bible with me. And I remember opening to Matthew 4. And I remember just reading through the, the call of the disciples. And I was just 17 and just thinking, you know, God, like, I can't do this discipleship thing. I can't follow you. Um, I can't, because I had such a failure complex that, like, I was never going to, I was, ne- I was not going to be able to achieve. And this is what happens when people have a high-achieving complex or when they're growing up in a high-achieving family or when they live with family members that are high achievers, that can impact us who either, it can impact us one, one of two ways. We, either we over-highly achieve and we're just, like, all the time, even when we're sleeping, we're achieving, <laughs> And then we're, and there's the other there's the other extreme where we are we're just like nope uh, this is I'm never gonna and we just go the other way we just we just start diving into a, a deep dark tunnel a deep dark uh, pit where we just live in failure and that's kind of where I was and I remember flying back on the plane back back home after seven days and I just remember reading Matthew four and Jesus said to his disciples follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that verse really spoke to me because you know what the biggest word in that verse was? The biggest, most powerful word, the word that was like in bold letters that was like shining out of the scripture, it was, I will make you. And I love it because we live in a self-made society, don't we? Like if you don't get your diploma, if you don't get, you know, if you don't, you know, like I'm amazed at the Woodland schools here. I mean, we, you know, our kids going to, to preschool and like we were looking at different preschools and they were just telling us like, this is our program. It's extremely aggressive, high achieving. Like this is where he's going to be at six months. And this is where he's going to be at 10 months. And this is where he's going to be at 12. I was like, guys, I just want a preschool. You know, I don't need him to be Einstein when he graduates. But this is the environment that we live in in America. And what, can, what this can do is, is it, can def- it can really deform and distort what is important in our lives and what is God's will. And so I remember being on that mission trip and being face-to-face with an eternal purpose for my life, seeing evangelism, seeing outreach. I remember I was with a guy, and uh, this sermon's not really going the way. I have all these notes, but it's not going that way right now. 
But I remember being on the on uh, on that trip, and there was a guy there with me, and he was uh, he was from he was half Brazilian and half Swedish, and half something else, and he was like, "That's three halves," and that's like you know. <laughs> So, like, I just remember he was just this guy. He would drive. What he would do is he would, like, you know, in, you know, in Europe, there are always, you know, there's lots of mass transportation, trains and these buses everywhere. And he would drive this, it's kind of like a subway, but it was underground and above ground. And we'd be on that every day. We'd go out to, the, out to this uh, social baden, which means in Swedish, the city of salt or the town of salt. And we were out there, and we were, that was our team house. And then during the day, we'd go into the city and do outreach. And I remember every day we'd go back and forth, and he'd be, he was the driver of that train, and he'd just get on the microphone, and he would just share the gospel over the speakers. And, you know, and these Swedes, like, they're just, everything is so organized, so nice, so, like, clean, and nobody's really doing, you know, anything outside of order. And then here he is sharing the gospel, like, over the, over the intercom in this train. And I just remember I went with him. I was assigned, you know, he and I went together on outreach that, that day, when uh, we were in town, and I remember I had never done that before. I'd never gone on outreach. I'd never shared my faith with anybody. And he took me out into this cafe. We left the cafe, and then he took me out, you know, on the street. We were with a group of people, and the idea was is just to talk to people and invite them to go see the event, the theater that we were going to do on the street. And, and he said, have you ever done this before? I said, no. And he said, okay, watch, watch me, and then, you know, so I follow him. I'm like, you know, 17. I'm just new and everything. And, and he shares his faith with a group of young people. And he goes, they had a conversation. And at the end of that, he said, do you see how I did that? And I said, yes. Because you go that way. <clears throat> I'm going to go this way. <laughs> and so he sends me that way. So I'm by myself, you know, like I'm in this. And that's not normally the way we would do it. I would never do that to anyone. But that was just God dealing with me in, in a crash course. Um, of evangelism, and I remember walking down the street, and there was a bunch of teenagers st- sitting there on some steps. And I went up and I just, I said, um, "Do you guys speak English?" They were, "Yeah, this is Sweden. We speak English." I said, uh, "Do you guys believe in God?" And they were like, "Yes, we go to religion school. We've learned all about God." At that moment, I had like no more, nothing else to say because <laughs> they believed in God. I was like, "Okay, well, that's great." Well. We're going to do uh, an event down here, and once you come down. And I remember like, talking with them a little bit more and just sharing my faith, like what Christ did in my life. And I remember being face-to-face with an eternal purpose in my life. And God gave me a faith dream. God gave me a dream. And I want to just talk just a couple minutes about what is a faith dream and why we need one. What does it look like? And what, is, what, what the enemy throws against our faith dreams, okay? So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says this. It says that, and this is Solomon. Remember Solomon? And he's writing Ecclesiastes, and it's kind of like a bad news book. It's just kind of talking about all of his bad experiences in his life of just excess. He had everything he wanted. And if he imagined it, he could have it. And he's writing here, and he's writing here, and he's just talking about the vanity of, of ever having everything in your, in your life that you would ever want. And he's talking about the vanity of that. And then he just, then he talks about, then he starts talking about in chapter 3, a time for everything. There's a time, there's a season for everything. And then in verse 11, he says this. And he's talking about verses 9 and 10. He's talking about just the busyness of people. How busy people are just doing things and occupying themselves with, they th- with what they think is important. The priorities that they learned as a, growing up and, 
the, the tasks and the projects that they felt that they were supposed to be doing. And then in verse 11, he says, God has made everything beautiful in his time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. He has put eternity in man's heart. And guys, this is why you and I cannot be satisfied with anything less than an eternal purpose in our life. Amen? I mean, I can just close right there and we just say amen. And that we are not going to be, we're not going to be satisfied with anything less in my life. My wife has this quote on her desk that says that. How does it go, honey? About the anointing? Without God's anointing, I'm below average. <laughs> There's like an eternal purpose in our life, and that purpose is eternal. And that's why, you know, if you look at your dog or if you look at your pets or your animals or if you're, you know, if you're Robert and you've got uh, insects in your house that you're raising, you know, if you look at all of uh, Robert, um, not Josiah, I'm sorry, Josiah, excuse me. He's got like these little, little bugs. It's like, you know, he's growing. If you look at these, if you look at creation, Animals are not going to reflect back to an eternal purpose. They have no concept of eternal purpose. They really don't. We are the only creation on this planet that has any inkling of eternity. We're going to die. All of us have an expiration date. We could die. But we're the only creation on this earth that has any sense. If you listen, if you turn on the radio, you're going to hear music about eternal love. I mean, not not Christian music. You're going to hear about, you know, I'll love you forever. And like this concept of like, you know, never dying. And where does that come from? God has put eternity in your heart, a sense that we are made not to die, right? Amen. We've been made for something so much bigger than things that die in this world. You know, we get, I got a, I got a nice black new truck a few months ago. And guess what? In about 20 years, I don't know, 15 years, maybe five, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be old. It's going to be not working. I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be not it's going to lose its glory. We live in a world that is just con- continually dying. And we ourselves, our body is, is in a constant state of death. But God has put eternity in our hearts so that, and it says here, so that we would not know, so that we could not find out in verse 11, what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I want to talk about that for a minute. What is this eternal purpose? What is this faith dream that God gives us? And why do we need to have one? And let's look to Isaiah 29. We're just going to jump around. I'm sorry. Usually I like to stick with one scripture and just walk through it. But if you look at verse 8 of Isaiah 29 with me, it says this. And the context of what's happening in Isaiah 29 is, is that, that judgment is coming to Israel, to Jerusalem. And there's a lot of bad news in these chapters, like just before, in these verses, just before this verse here in Isaiah 29. God is speaking and from verses 1 to verse 7 about how judgment's coming to Jerusalem. Bad news, right? Kind of the way the world, we're living in this world today, aren't we? That, that is just so filled with bad news. And there's this sense every day that we're living in a world that's not only dying on a consistent basis, but it's also under judgment. It's just like, it's just like there is like God is, there's so much that God is working, working against in this world. And, and here it looks very, it looks kind of... Um, it looks really bleak until, and then actually when you get to verse 8, I think it is a very good verse that describes where most of the world today is at. And it says this, And when a, man, when, a, when a hungry man dreams, behold, he is eating, and awakes with his hunger not satisfied. How many of you have ever dreamed about eating? You know? I mean, I remember when I was single, and I didn't really have a lot of food to eat. 
I don't know, I was always eating. I don't know what my problem was. I was just always eating. It was just never enough. And I remember um, just waking, sometimes dreaming about food and waking up and just like that feeling that you have in your stomach, like you just didn't eat. I know one guy, he said that he was dreaming he was eating a huge marshmallow and he woke up and his pillow was gone. It's a joke, just joking. But it says when he, is, when he wakes up, he's not satisfied. This is where the world is today. There are these dreams that people have and that they're kind of like in this sleepy state and they have no idea that like stuff is coming, that there's a world system out there that is just going to be, that's just, just, just going to get hit hard here like Jerusalem. And people have these dreams and like they live and they, they breathe these dreams and they wake up from the dream. What does it mean to wake up? Reality hits. Reality. Something happens. Cancer. Death in the family. Separation. Financial disaster. Reality hits and they wake up. And guess what happens? The dream is empty. It cannot satisfy. It cannot fulfill. But you know something here? It says that um, in this verse... It says that with his fir- when he behold, he is drinking and awakes faint and his thirst not quenched so that the multitude of all the nations that fight against Mount Zion. He's saying that these enemies of Israel are coming against Israel with this empty dream. Guys, this is what the world can give. This is what, and I'm telling you, like we as Christians, we're not exempt from this. We take, we just take, we take our dreams and we make them like, like a spiritual business plan. And we say, that's going to be my dream. But you know something? God has put something inside of us called eternal life. This is an eternal purpose. And, you know, I just want, what is a faith dream? When we say faith dream, what are we, what are we talking about? Well, we live in a society that really thrives on the thrill of extreme adventure. Okay? And this, this is, people are looking for a reality rush. People suffer from the passivity and boredom of a life lived in selfishness and egocentric entertainment. We live in a world that is just, as it's really looking for an adventure, an adrenaline rush. And the, the, the crazier it can be, the more dangerous it is, the more exciting it is. Why? Because there's something that is inside of us that desires the radical life that we can only find in Christ. Second thing is, is that we like Abraham and Noah and Joseph and Nehemiah and even Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Paul, we've been created, we have been created for a purpose, for a calling from God that and God wants to use you and I in this world. That's what we're created for. We're created for the will of God. And you know, anything that's less than the will of God in your life is just going to be disappointment. It's going to be empty dream. You're going to be waking up in that moment of reality and you're going to realize I'm empty and the dream was just a vapor. Okay? Maybe somebody has this dream like, hey, maybe if I get married someday, it's going to be all good. You know, I'll be happy. And, and I have a great marriage. I have a happy marriage. I'm happily married I think some people come into marriage and you're just thinking, like, this is going to solve all my problems. And they wake up and they realize that this was, that they are married to a fallen person. A person has an old sin nature. There's something in our life that has to take precedent, that has to be greater, that is greater than any domestic thing that we, like anything that we lived for domestically. It has to be even greater than our family. Family is great. Family is awesome. Family is first. But there's got to be something in my life that's even greater. When my wife and I started dating and we got engaged, really our, our, our priority was that we would have between us an eternal purpose, an altar, a throne that we would meet at. And this is where we would have communion. And we're going to have communion in a few minutes. 
but this is where we would have communion over the eternal purpose of God in our life, that God would give us a dream, a desire, a calling, something that is so big. God wants to give people a faith dream. God wants to give each one of us a faith dream. He wants to give us something. And when I say dream, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm not talking about some abstract thing or some egocentric thing. I'm talking about something that is like what God gave jo- Joseph. Remember when Joseph, in, Gen- in Genesis 37, uh, he has this dream. And he says, you know, he says to his brothers, I had this dream. And we, I, we all had sheaves. And my sheave was straight and tall. And then you guys circled around me and all your sheaves bowed down to me. And the response to that was they were so angry. And they were saying, what are you saying, that you're greater than us? And you know what's funny? Joseph's dream for his brothers and Joseph's dream for his family was not about being greater. It was a dream that someday God would give him something that he could give to his family when they were in great need. And that happened. That's a faith dream. Faith dreams, faith dream is, is, when we say faith dream, we're talking about something like a rhema that God imparts to us through his word to the spirit of a person as he did with Mary in Luke 1. Do you remember when Mary, when, when, when the angel comes to Mary and, and he's saying to Mary, you know, you're going to give birth to, you know, she's probably 17 or she's young, maybe 16, we think, looking at the culture today and and this angel comes to Mary and says, um, you know, you're going to give birth to the most high. You're going to be, and his name shall be called Jesus. And imagine getting this information and like thinking, what was Mary's response? Well, I think in the Greek, in the original language, it's amazing what she says. And it's a really beautiful combination of words. What she's saying is this. is She's saying that let it be as you have revealed it to me by Rhema. And she says in English, let it be as you, as you, as, as you have said but that word speak there is not just logos like the word, but it's like rhema in the sense of what you said by revelation, what you spoke to my inner man, what you spoke to my inner man. That is rhema. God gives us a rhema through his word. And this is something that doesn't come through the flesh or the old sin nature. <clears throat> it comes through the word of God. It comes through the spirit of God. It comes to the and it's spoken to the new man that's inside of you and I. It's like Peter when he's on the it's like when he's on the boat. Remember that? He's on the boat, and I love this scene. I think about it all the time. He's on the boat. Jesus comes walking on the water. Everybody's scared. Oh my gosh, it's a ghost. Peter looks and he goes, No, that's the Lord. And he sees Jesus walking on water. What does Peter do? I love this. I love this. I love this. This is the way we look at we this is the way we got to look at the call of God. Peter, Peter says to Jesus. Lord, call me and I'll come. I love that. What what did Peter see? Peter saw himself walking on the water with Jesus Christ. That was a faith dream. That was a rhema. And that was the will of God because Jesus wanted him to walk on the water too. And what did Jesus say? Well, Peter, love to do that, but your thought life hasn't been so great lately. Or uh, you got an issue with jealousy with the other disciples. Or this or that. No, he says, come, come. Because when, when the call of God comes on our life, when the faith dream comes to our life, when, some, when God gives us something so big and so impossible, it's never based on what you and I can do or what we can't do or our behavior, our good behavior or our bad behavior. It's just come, just come, just come. And so what does Peter do? He steps out. He steps out. We know what happens, but I just want to focus on that. He steps out. A faith dream is when you and I see Christ, right? When we see Jesus Christ, 
and there's a revelation of his, per, of his person and who he is through the scripture and through the lives of other people in the body of Christ. And we see that, we see that. And for me, it was like I was in the streets of Sweden. I saw the, 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 the team, our team in Sweden, doing Christian theater on the street. And, and like I saw that and Christ spoke to me and I said, and I said, call me Jesus and I'll come. And Jesus said, come, come. You know why? Because God always responds to faith. We respond to faith, but when he sees our faith, and, and don't get me wrong, we don't have to work up faith because there's no faith in ourselves. Like we cannot produce one iota of faith. And we can't because that's Galatians 2.20. It says that by the faith of Jesus Christ, any faith that you and I have really comes from Jesus Christ in us. So don't worry if you have emotions or if you get a, like an idea or a dream with God and then you don't no longer have that emotion. Because like you can be elated one minute and excited about this dream that God's giving you and this desire and this thing that's so foreign to you yet it's so exciting. And then 10 minutes later you can get a text message and it just shoots it down. Don't worry about your emotions because the call of God doesn't change. It doesn't change. And so what we've said so far is, is that, number one, we need a faith dream because we have eternity in our hearts. Number two, we don't understand what the true, what, we, what is the best for us. And we chase these dreams. And like in Isaiah 29, verse 8, we wake up and we're empty. We wake up and we're empty because they're just empty dreams. And the third thing here so far is that a faith dream is something that God imparts to us. And guess what happens so many times in the Bible, God calls you and I, we're in the midst of failure. My gosh, John 21, Peter blows it, right? We always get on Judas's case, like well, he denied Christ three times. Well, Peter did too. <laughs> Peter did the exact same. He, he denied Christ three times. But what was the difference? Peter knew how to repent. Peter knew how to turn around, do a 180 and go back to Christ. And many times in the greatest times of failure in your life, Many times in the greatest times of discouragement, many times in the greatest time of victimhood or your worst moments, or maybe even so unexpectedly, something happens and God says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you. The call of God should, should scare us. It really should. It does scare us. It really does. It scares me. It scares all of us. You know, it scares us. But you know, we have to remember is that I will make you. And that's my, that's my, that's my peace. That's my joy. That's my thought when I think about, you know, this mission trip, when I think about what God has done here in Houston through our little gatherings, I will make you. And I, I can do that. That's a Christianity I can do. That's okay. Jesus, if you're going to do this, amen. Just call me and I'll come. And that's why, and that's what a faith dream is. I want to, um, I want to say this too about faith dreams is that we need faith dreams. And, you know, faith dream can equal calling. It can, call, it can be equal eternal purpose, whatever you want to call it. But I like the word faith dream because in Romans 14, anything that's not a faith in my life is sin. You know, we, there's the Ten Commandments and there's all these other extra commandments that are added later on in the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, there's these other commandments that we're hearing talked about. And then Jesus starts to simplify it in Matthew chapter 5. And then he begins to, then he says in, uh, then he says in the book of Mark, uh, do not fear, only believe, and you shall see. And then in Romans 14, it just says, hey, whatever's, whatever's not a faith, you're, you're missing the mark in your Christianity. What is sin in my life? It's not going out and doing stuff. Sin is when I'm like, when I just stop thinking with God and responding to the ability of God in my life. That's just, and sin is like just missing the mark. It's like, I, you know, I'm a degree off. And if you're in the shipbuilding business like Kylie, you got to make sure that like, when you're built, you know, when you're on when you're on the water and you're like one degree off, or anybody else that's in the navy or whatever, 
uh, you're one degree off. In a week, you're going to be on the other. You're going to be in another part. You're going to be in. You're going to be in another ocean. You're going to be like in another another place that you're not supposed to be. A person without a dream is passive, frivolous, empty-headed, and easily influenced by people, and have no purpose in his life, chasing dreams that never come true, that never come to pass. You and I need to have a faith dream. You know, um, what's a faith dream? Is it just something that's egocentric? It's motivated by love, and it heals our mind of fear. This is preparing, and I was thinking about this. You know, when you and I receive something from God, a dream that we gonna, you know, we don't even know what it means. Like, okay, I think God spoke to me. I have this desire. People are reflecting this to me that, you know, the body seems to be concurring with it. My wife or my husband seems to be. I mean, my wife, I don't have a husband, uh, seems to be concurring and reflecting to, 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 um, to me the call of God in my life. And by the way, the gifts and the calling of God are not something that I discover myself. It, it comes from being in the body. When you and I are baptized in the body and we're just implanted, you know, then guess what happens? We start, the body starts speaking to us. People start reflecting to us like, hey, this is your gift set, I think. And the Lord will, will concur with that. But when we start to function in a faith dream, you know what happens? God heals us from fear. You know, as a teenager, I had a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. I just weird, like, you know, I was there. There was OCD in my family. It's just amazing stuff. I mean, it was nuts. And I remember having so many apprehensions, so many worries, like just over frivolous, scrupulous stuff, you know, the goofiest stuff. You'd be like, what are you worried about that for? But, you know, when God puts a purpose in your life, there's just so much confidence. Second Timothy 1 verse 7 says this. God did not give us a spirit of timidity and cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. Yes, that's the Amplified Bible right there. God has given us something that is bigger than the world, bigger than us. It's a spirit that is so much greater than what this world can give. Someone, someone may say, well, you know what? I, I don't know if I have a dream for my life. I don't know if I have any faith for my life. I don't know if I have any capacity to believe like what you're talking about. I mean, you see these people going on mission trips and I can't even make a trip to H-E-B without, you know, just having a, just having a, a meltdown. You know what? There are people that you and I, that, that dream for us. They have a faith dream for us. And that's the body of Christ, isn't it? That's the body of Christ. This is what happens we see with Nathaniel. Nathaniel, Jesus is, is, walks um, up to one of the disciples. And those disciples, that disciple, and I think it's Mark chapter 1 or 2, calls Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is this pessimistic, jaded guy. If you read about Nathaniel, you're seeing a jaded guy. He's like, he's just, he's cynical. He's like, Jesus says, oh, there's a man without guile, a, a pure man. Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? And like, from where do you know me? Like this total jaded response. Like, yeah, right. Like, who are you to even say anything about me? You don't know me. And, and you know what? Jesus had a vision Nathaniel and Nathaniel responded to that that vision for us there's gonna be people in your life that have a vision for you I remember when I was I went on the you know before I went on the mission field to Poland there was a guy that was just mentoring me and he was in Sweden with me like he had he um he had planted a church he was a missionary in Finland and then uh he went with a team to Poland and um I thought about the missions I came back went to Bible school when I was 17 went to Bible school met up with him again, 
And uh, his name is Roger. And he said to me, he, says, he said, he sat me down. We were in Bible school and we were in the cafe. And he said to me, you know what, Chris, I, I, I'm so excited about your future. And I could tell he was genuinely excited. And I was like, I'm not excited about my future. <laughs> this is one person in my life that's excited about my future. And I remember he would just speak vision into my life. Paul did that with Timothy. He spoke into Timothy's life. He said, Timothy, you've got a calling. Uh, Moses did that with Joshua. I'm going to wrap this up in a minute here. Moses said to Joshua, and we look at Joshua, you know, you look at the Sunday school lessons of Joshua. You see this mighty man with like, you know, he's armed and he's a soldier and he's like a, he looks like a pretty valiant dude, you know. But if we read scripture carefully, I don't think that's what he was. I mean, when you see Joshua chapter one and the end of Deuteronomy and, and, and you, see the, you see Moses talking to Joshua in Exodus 33, verse 11. You see Moses speaking to Joshua. What's he always saying? And remember? Courage. Be courageous. Be strong in the Lord. And he kept over and over and over. You don't say that over and over and over to a guy that's already got a lot of courage in their life. I think Joshua is a guy who secretly struggled with fear and discouragement. And, and, and then Moses passes on and then God is speaking in Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 2, Moses, be strong, be, be courageous. Every step that you take, your, every place that you put your foot, I am there with you, and that will be your ground. This is what, this is what a vision is, a vision that does not originate with us. It's a, it's a dream that doesn't come from me. It comes from God. It's much bigger than our emotions, and it's much bigger than our ability, and it's, for, it's so big it's impossible for the natural man to do. It's amazing. It's a purpose that made, you know something in, in that verse that we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the latter part, kind of gives us a question mark that God gives us eternity in our hearts. He gives us a dream. And, and it's something that we can't really figure out. Do you know why? Because if, he, if we could figure it out, it's not a God-sized dream. It's not a God-sized calling. It's not a God-sized plan. It's a vision that is so big that we would be easily, we would easily doubt it if it were not God confirming in our heart. And sometimes the vision that makes us feel alone Okay, sometimes you're going to feel like, man, am I, only the, am I the only person that's thinking this way? And sometimes that the answer is yes. You know why? No, God hasn't left you. But, you know, I think that 90, this is just me. This is Chris Moore. This is not, thus saith the Lord. I think 99% of Christianity is doing what, what, what 85% people can, what 99% people can do. There's 1% of, of, of work that needs to be done that only that a Christian can do. I think there's so much Christianity that's just doing so many good things that we're missing the, the one eternal purpose, and that is to preach Christ, and that is the eternal purpose of God. Let's not get occupied with dreams that are so much less than what God has for us, good things. Remember Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and it says that, that we might prove the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. And I think that that verse is telling us that there's the good. People can say, hey, that's a good thing. I'm glad you're doing that. That's great. Then there's the acceptable. We'll say, well, you know, that's okay. You know, it's not bad. But then there's the perfect. And that's what I want in my life. I want the perfect will of God. I don't want to live in some sub-levels of the will of God in my life. Because God will allow in God will allow us to function in his permissive will as we see with, with Israel. Because he's a good God. And if we seek after his perfect will, then, then we will find it. Another thing about the faith dream is this. In Hebrews chapter 11, you know, God may give you something, give you a vision for something for your family or for a work of the Lord or for your neighborhood or for a neighbor. 
that you may not see the answer to in your lifetime. You know, that's the story of, of, of um, George Mueller. Many of his prayer requests that didn't, did not get answered until he was dead, until he died. Really. I want to close with this. There's opposition. And I know I'm speaking a little longer than I normally do. But guys, you're not going to see me for two weeks. So <laughs> give, me, give me some grace here, right? 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. Here's Paul. I love Paul, right? Paul is like, Paul's like this guy. He's just, he's thinking, and he's thinking he's moving. He's thinking he's moving. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit doesn't let him go. Then he's going to go over here, and the Holy Spirit doesn't let him go. And there's only one place geographically, and this is Turkey. There's one place that he can go, and that's west. So he goes west, and he winds up in a city called Troas, which is right in the corner there of, of Turkey with Greece. And he can't go any farther. And he, that, that night, he has a dream. And a, and a man comes to him from Macedonia, and he says, come over and help us. Come over and help us. Come over and help us. And he wakes up, and he's like, whoa, what was that? That was... That was, the, that was a man from Macedonia. I don't even know who it is. And he woke up and he perceived that it was the Lord that spoke to him. And he got up and he got on the internet. And he started planning, buying tickets. And he started like call, making phone calls and get, you know, getting contacts over there. I'm just joking. He didn't have internet then. But he started making plans to go. And he goes and he's just thinking. And then it says, immediately we endeavored. I think those are the words in the, in the King James. Immediately we acted. I think when God speaks to us, Many times God will speak to you and I at the end of a series of great discouragements, great, great, great sorrows. You know, and that could be decades. Moses, 40 years, discouraged. You know, he blows it, 40 years. He's got a family that's not even from his own nation. And he's a shepherd, a man living way under his potential and his calling. And one day he sees this burning bush. And the amazing thing about the burning bush is that it's burning and it wasn't burnt up. Moses was a was a bush that got burnt up because he tried to do the will of God and the energy of the flesh. And that's, that's legalism, by the way. He was tired. He was like, I, I don't want any more of this. I want, I want, I just want a family. I just want to live normally. God speaks to him and he's thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking. And God says, I'm gonna, I got a calling for you. I got a calling for you. That's an eternal purpose. And you know something, Paul here in 1 Corinthians 16, verse nine is talking about opposition because there's gonna be opposition to this, faith dreams is this calling in your life. There's going to be opposition. And you know, right in the middle of, of, of Peter's discouragement in John 21, John 20 and 21, he gets a calling. Um, David, I mean, so many stories, so many examples. First Corinthians 69 says this, for a great door, a mega, the Greek word is mega, a mega door. Last night I was, Pastor Adam called me, and I was in the middle of pulling a door off of its frame so we can get a Got a desk into my um, into this little room that's under our stairs. We're gonna make like a prayer room out of that, you know. And this door, I don't know. It's just it was the heaviest door I've ever felt in my life. It was huge. It was a mega door, and it was. He said, "A great door and effectual is opened unto me." Do you ever feel that way, man? There's so much opportunity. There's this opportunity here. There's this amazing opportunity. A great door is open, yet, but it doesn't say but. But it says and. Because with all great doors comes adversaries, <laughs> many adversaries, you know. And this word adversary in the Greek is pretty cool because what it means is the first part of the word is anti, which we know what that means, right? And the second word is a Greek word that means to stand. And I think when I hear the word adversary, I'm thinking, okay, this is pushing against me from moving forward. No, this is pushing against you from standing where you're standing. And it's like when you and I hear from God, stand. 
in Ephesians chapter 6. When we hear something from God, stand. Stay there. Don't go anywhere. Just stand. And then you know what happens? It's like the enemy wants to push us over. And there's like these, I think there's seven, I think there's seven oppositions. Can I read them to you? I like lists, okay? Just helps me concentrate. Rationalization. You know what rationalization is? We just overthink. We start taking all these other factors into the goal. Well, did God say this? Or maybe he meant somebody else. Or I'm just, I'm thinking I don't have enough money or I don't have the personality to do it. That's rationalization. How about doubt? We start doubt, doubting. Like in the Greek, doubt means to double think. It means to think and then think again. Think and then think again. Think, we all suffer from that. The third thing is fear of the future. Fear of the future. What's the future going to bring? What if I do marry this person? What's the future going to look like? What if I do do that? What if I, what if I say yes to the pastorate? Or what do I say yes to the, mission, to the life of a missionary? What's I going to do to my family? Fear of the future. Living in the past, that's number four. We get so wrapped up about the past and what we've done in the past. Paul said, I've forgotten those things which are behind me. And I press forward to the high calling, the eternal purpose, a purpose in our life, a dream that's so much higher than just being the guy in the, in, the, in the neighborhood with the best car, you know, or the best job. Number five, circumstantial orientation. I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know if I'm going to get what I need to get. Circumstances can oppose us. And then sometimes looking at ourselves. that's number six, looking at myself. You know, don't look at yourself. <laughs> look at Christ. Look at the new man inside of you. And then number seven, looking at other people. You know, Paul said in Galatians, he said, he said, he said, I did not confer with flesh and blood. Don't talk to flesh and blood about something that God told you to do. Because, you know, they're not going to understand. I mean, you want to get counsel. But at the same time, don't be asking your spouse or your kids or, or family members or your employer or whatever. Like, you know, like don't ask them what you should do in your life for these major decisions. Like, what is God's will in my life? You know, you want to hear from God. In closing... God gives us moments where he speaks to us. Like for me, it was on the plane when I was 17, flying back from Sweden. And every step I've taken in my life, it's always been predicated with someone saying something or just a moment with the Lord that was a split second that I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I remember, um, you know, when I, when I decided to go to Ukraine, I remember being on this streetcar. We had just spent several days of just doing meetings and Bible studies. And the whole team that was with me in Poland went back. And I just decided to stay an extra three days by myself just to be with these people because they just needed a pastor. And I remember riding back in this car, in this streetcar to the train station. I remember, the, I remember the voice of Christ who said to me, would you pastor these people? You don't have to, but would you consider it? And I just remember the shepherd's voice. And I just thought, man, yes. I remember when we came down to visit um, a few years ago here, to, came down to spring to visit. And I remember sitting down, just visiting some friends. And they said to me, they, they, they said this, you know, they, they were on church and they were looking for something and they needed discipleship. And I remember sitting down with them and then they wrote this thing to me. They wrote a little note to me as we were flying back and I opened it up in the plane and this is what it said. So much sweeter and greater is to know him and to be known by him than to be known by others in him. It's so, it's so far beyond knowing each other socially. There's nothing like being knit together in one body. Let us pray, think, and envision together a beautiful Texas body. 
And I, I remember flying back in my heart thinking, wow, that's like, that really spoke to me. I still have the handwritten letter. You know, people come and go, but the words don't. We don't know who the Macedonian man was. It doesn't matter because they didn't meet a man. They met Lydia, a woman. That the Macedonian man is Christ. And so if somebody speaks to you and they're no longer in your life, it's okay. It's Christ that's speaking to you. Uh, something that Billy texted me, and I want to read it to you, and I want to close with this, about vision and just so many things that can enter our mind. It, it, it says this, there are so many reasons not to go. And this is referring to our trip to Kurdistan. Isn't it amazing that God doesn't try to outnumber the reasons not to go? God's not trying to outnumber the reasons not to go. He just gives us one reason, which outweighs all the no's. And that one reason is grace, the gospel of grace. Amen. Let's have a vision. Let's listen to God. Let's say, God, what do you want me to do? Maybe I don't know what it is, but be around people that have a vision for your life. They're not going to tell you the will of God. They're going to encourage you. Be in a body of people that's on the move, that is thinking with God. And let's not get, let's not get lost in dreaming about something that when we wake up, when reality hits us, we're not ready for it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for...